Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Good morning. How are we doing? You like my wardrobe change I had here? Makes me holier. All right. No more. I promise. I'm sorry. Especially the moms. I'm sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Um, but uh, I, I have this on to, uh, because holes do, they serve as a really good metaphor. Um, when we're lacking something or missing something, right? And so we're going to talk about holes, but very specifically flaws, that I'm pretty sure everyone in the room has at least one of those, right? We have these holes, these flaws, and some of them feel gigantic to us and are really evident. We have physical flaws um, or other flaws that people can, can see. Um, you know, they, a lot of scholars believe the Apostle Paul stuttered. We don't know for sure, but he had an issue at times with speaking. So one of those kinds of flaws is not his fault, but it's, it's evident. And we all have things that we're not good at, things we're afraid of, things, kind of messes we've had in our life. And, and so they represent these, these holes. And, and some are evident and some, I call them the armpit uh, holes, right? You know, those are the ones we kind of, we know about them, but we don't want other people to know about them. So it causes us to hide a little bit. And in this series, we've been talking about faith and our flaws that we all have, um, the big ones, the little ones, the ones people know, the ones only we know and God knows, right? These can be some of the biggest stumbling blocks for why we don't trust God. Because we forget that faith is not trusting myself or trusting you, it's trusting in Almighty God, right? And so that's what we're going to learn in our four guys mentioned today from the book of Judges. They have tremendous flaws. And instead of picking on them, we should feel grateful that if, men they made the Faith Hall of Fame, we can make it too, right? That, the, that all of heaven might see who we are and what, we can, what we're capable of when we trust not ourselves, but we trust God. All right, so I'm going to get my other microphone on. Um, so it's a little um, uh, wardrobe change, but how many were here when I forgot to take my mask off and I tried to, when I had to cut it off? Okay, so you know that debacle, and uh, I, fool me once, right? So I'm not going to do that again, so hold on. Let's pray. Father, we, we, uh, we, we do come here today, and I pray you give us your Holy Spirit, uh, a spirit of reverence, um, that as we have fun with your word and we laugh and we enjoy it, it's also heavy at times and real serious because, Lord, it's your truth, and that's what we want. That's what I pray for for myself and everyone who's in this room right here this morning, that whatever we need, that you give it to us, oh, Holy Spirit. Whatever that is, it would come with this, this reverence, would come with this spirit of, of confession, a spirit of desiring for more of you, the pant after it like the deer pants after the brook. And so, Lord, I ask that you would be with me. It's just a vessel for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before we launch into it, um, 
uh, we, we uh, uh, in, in our verse, actually 75% of a verse in, in Hebrews, I do also, as long with Greg, want to uh, wish all of our moms a wonderful, blessed Mother's Day. Celebrate families who are with your moms, like this is their day. They should really, you know, the Bible doesn't say honor them once a year, by the way. Says honor them all the time. So um, and, and fathers too. So I just want to point that out. But but it's a special day to to honor them. And we as a church we rejoice with our moms. You are a gift from God for sure, all of you. And we pray for you. Um, one of the reasons a number of years ago as a church we don't make a humongous show of it is because it's also a hard day for a lot of you, right? We've lost our moms, me included. Um, there's. Uh, Ladies who wanted to be moms but aren't or have lost children. So there's just all that mixed emotion. And like I always, this is my Mother's Day speech. Many of you heard it before. Um, but it really is a microcosm of what the church is. And that is we rejoice with those who rejoice, but then we weep with those who weep. All right? And we, and we remember that. And so you should be honored moms, but then also we should pray for those who this is a day of struggle and not ostracize them and, and, and even unintentionally. And remember, we're all part of the body of Christ. Amen? So moms, celebrate well today, okay? I know we'll celebrate uh, the moms in our life for sure later on this afternoon. What a beautiful day God has given us for that. And so we've been um, in this, this uh, what we call the, the faith series, the faith hall of fame. It's been Hebrews 11, right? And this is just a sermon in written form where a first century church is struggling with faith. And they're shrinking back and they're starting to give up. And, and so he, he, he's trying to help them to, to stay the course. And he gets to this place where we've seen all of these examples of faith. And he's pretty much going chronologically through this like survey course of the Old Testament. And last week, if you were with us, we came to where they entered the promised land. We had Rahab and we had the walls of Jericho. And so we, we see um, in verse 32... He gets to that next phase of Israel's history, but he's going to start going a lot faster. He says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Like, he's saying right there, I got to speed this up. (laughs) Like, if I keep going, like, my letter's going to be twice as long as I want it to be, right? And and so he's sort of saying, I kind of given you enough evidence. And he's still going to go on for a few, we're going to see it for the next few weeks. But but he kind of speeds this up. He gives us four guys that are in the time period that we call judges, right? And and uh, that's a time period in history that's somewhere between 440, 450 years. So several centuries, a long period of history, um, and it's, it's really difficult to find a period of Judges in your Bible. It's in this book called Judges, right? So uh, really not that hard. And, and so Judges uh, is because we, we saw them get into the promised land, and they were set up for these, these centuries to be a theocracy. What that means is God is their king. They had civil leaders, but God is supposed to be their king. The law that he gave Moses is what they're to live by. But they didn't do that very well, right? And so these four guys are in, three of them are judges. One is a military leader in the time of judges. And so this time period, if, you were, if I were to characterize it with just one image, okay, in Israel's history, it would be this. Yeah, not just a toilet bowl, but a swirling toilet bowl, right? And I know we all have these, and we need these, um, but probably if I said, you know what I think about when I think of you? A toilet bowl. You would not be happy with that, right? It's not the image you want, right? And, and, and that's for very good reason. And, and so let me explain why. 
Because when you look at this series of judges, there's this pattern that develops, like a, a circle. So think about the water going around and around. And, and the whole thing, it kind of starts with the people who are supposed to be under God's law. It keeps saying over and over again two things. They uh, did evil in the sight of God, in the, lo- the Lord. And secondly, they did what was right in their own eyes, Right? So, did evil was the side of the Lord and did what they believed was right. So that was always changing because they were creating their own truth. But you know what? We don't have to worry about today. That, that doesn't happen in our culture at all, right? Sarcasm noted, right? We pretty much are living in the time of judges where people make up their own truths and you have to live by it, right? That, this, there's nothing new under the sun. Oh, the world, I can't believe how the world. Judges was going through this way worse than us, okay? It's always been the case. So, so you have this situation where they would sin against God Right? And they would get to a point where God would judge them, usually with a foreign power. So they would get oppressed or they're under them. And then they would cry out to God in repentance. Right? And then the Lord would hear their prayer and he would raise up a judge to save them. And they'd have a period of peace. Right? And then it would happen all over again, except the toilet bowl. It doesn't just stay level. Right? It circles. And goes worse and worse and worse and worse. So you can have this pattern, but it just keeps, by the time we, and you see this in the judges themselves. First few judges, 12 total. First few judges, you really can't find anything wrong with their character. By the time you get to Samson, as he's in one of the guys on our list, right, at the very end, like, that guy's a hot mess. He's barely a guy. You even believe in God, right? And that's because this toilet bowl effect until they finally demand a king in the next phase of their history. And so, the Hebrews writer actually brings out these four guys and puts them in the Faith Hall of Fame, and they're full of flaws, as I said. And that's what, when I got this, I'm like, we just need to pause on this and say, man, God can use people with tremendous holes, tremendous flaws. And so what I want to do is look at these guys, and I want to warn you, don't panic, okay? You don't look panicked yet, but you might get a little panicked. Some of you have plans later today. We're going to spend most of our time with the first one, Gideon, because I think he's the best example and the most interesting one. Um, but by the time we get done with that, you're like, we got three more guys, Jamie. We got, I got a picnic at two, right? Like, don't panic, all right? We're going we're gonna, to, the other guys I spent a lot less time with. And the last guy, he's such a flawed person. I give you like a minute and a half. I don't even know why he's on this list. I will ask the Hebrews writer why, okay? So don't panic, all right? We're going to look at Gideon because Gideon really is so fascinating. Okay, so Gideon, and again, he didn't um, give these in chronological order, um, and Gideon actually is not the first on this list that lived. He was in Judges chapter 6. And he, he, remember, the, the, the pattern happens. They sin against God. They cry, they're, they're put underneath the oppression of a people group called the Midianites this time. They're just, you know, one of those ites in the Bible. And you know, the Ammonites, the Midianites, the termites, and all the, the ites, right? And, and, the, and so the Midianites were called, they're like locusts, they're described as. There's so many of them. And they're coming into Israel, and they're just like ravishing the land. And, if, and so many of them are farmers, they do agriculture, and they're just taking all of their, their stuff. It's like just taking it. And, and so this is going on for a number of years. And, and so that's the time period that Gideon, who is a farmer, is living in. And we meet Gideon uh, in the book of Judges. He uh, lives in his father's house, and he's beating wheat into a wine press. So I don't know if you know anything about making wine, 
but wheat is not what you use, right? Maybe beer, but not wine. And so why is he doing that? He's doing that to hide it from the Midianites. That's what they're resorted to. It's a terrible time to live under the judgment of God of the, the Midianites. And so that's where we meet him. He's doing that, and um, the, 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 we hear in the narrative, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Wow. Gideon's like, man of valor. Okay. All right. All right. We'll see what, see what he has to say, right? And, and so Gideon says to him, now remember, in the Bible, when an angel appears to someone, what usually happens? Like, oh my gosh, right? Like, like they, I either want to worship you or run from you. It's the presence of God. It's terrifying. Not Gideon. Gideon says this to the angel of the Lord. Please, uh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted for us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Right? Like, like didn't, didn't the Lord uh, uh, bring us up and, and, and from Egypt and all these stories I hear in Sunday school? Where is he? We're under the crush of his, right? He's arguing with the angel of the Lord. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And so we have him looking at the angel of the Lord. And if I were to describe Midian with one uh, image that you'll be familiar with, it's this. I know we're supposed to think Gideon, like we have the Gideons, they hand out Bibles, and he's the warrior. No, no, no. He's Eeyore, okay? He's a pessimist. It's one of his flaws. He's afraid. And, and all the problems, and there are problems, is he sees only the problem. Right? And what did Eeyore do? Oh, it's always going to be bad. It's always been bad. And it's just going to get worse. Right? Some of you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but you struggle with a little Eeyoreism, don't you? There's no, and, and that's just a flaw. Some have. Lots of us have it. Now, you should never be a full-blown Eeyore if you're a Christian. You have no reason to be an Eeyore if you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of us have the flaw, and I know I present myself as a tigger. I get that right? But trust me, I have my Eeyore days. Like, really, Lord? This again? Really? Right? And, and so when you're an Eeyore, you see this problem. It's all you see. It's all you can ever, it's all you kind of remember there being. And you know, it's like, I don't see the Lord doing anything, and I don't see, right? And that's his flaw, and it causes him to doubt himself and, and, and doubt God, and he sees that glass half empty. And, and a lot of us can, can relate to that. He said, that, but down, it says, and the Lord said to him, uh, turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Right? Do not I send you? And Gideon said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, and this is the key, but I will be with you. You see that? I can't do it, but I will be with you. I will be with you. Isn't that enough, Gideon? And he said, you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You have, and this happens to us too, you have two kind of worldviews, perspectives colliding. There's, there's the Eeyore Gideon view, and then there's the Lord, right? And he's like, look, you think I'm going to go beat this swarming locust of an army? Like, I'm not 
prepared to do that. I'm sneaking, you know, wheat into the wine press. I'm the lowest of my father's house, which is the lowest of the clan, the lowest of Manasseh, the tribe. Like, how, how am I some kind of mighty man of valor? His worldview is the one that, that stops us. I'm flawed. I'm nobody. I can't do it, right? And, and the Lord's perspective is, so what? Don't I go with you? Isn't it I that sends you? Am I not the Lord? And so now you got this competing sort of, okay, am I going to trust me? Yeah, I can see why you sit on the sidelines if you trust yourself. But if I'm going to trust in faith for God to do it through me, that's the question. And so what, what happened in the story, I won't read it for you uh, um, as we'll skip ahead, but he starts to get a little bit like, okay, he goes and gets the angel food, and the, and the angel takes uh, his staff and zaps it, and it turns into fire. So that alone is going to say, maybe there's something here, right? And so he begins to, to feel a little bit more like, okay, all right, maybe there's something here. He's looking up from his half-empty glass, right? And, and it says he worshiped. That's the beautiful thing about the fault and the and the, the, the missing holes in Gideon's character is he worships. And I'd like this a whole other sermon for another day, but just remember, if you really want to increase your trust for God on a daily basis, you worship God. Because when you worship and know who he is, you start to be able to trust him. And so Gideon worships him and starts to say, okay, maybe the Lord is calling me. So the Lord says, here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to tear down the altar to the false god Baal, which the Canaanites love. It was highly sexualized, and, and it was one of those, you know, when you're running from God, you know, you run to something like that. And, and so they had this, this big altar to Baal. He said, Gideon, I want you to tear that thing down. I want you to take the wood and build an altar for me. And Gideon's like, that's not going to go well. Uh, they will kill me. I don't really know if we should do that, right? So he calls them to do it. So in that sort of lack, that fear and that pessimism that he, that he, that he has, it, it, it says this. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. <laughs> Reminds you of Nicodemus when he went to see Jesus at night, right? He's afraid. He's like, they're going to kill me. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He still did it. And God was pleased. Some of you, maybe you just need to do something by night. Maybe that's your first step. You're afraid, I'm just going to do this and not tell anyone I did it because God's calling me to do it. Even that step can start to bring the courage that the Lord is with you and he goes before you. So, so he goes and he, he, he tears it, it down um, and and, and he, by night, or his servants do, and they build an altar to the Lord. And he's right. The, the, uh, the, 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 sir, the, the people are so angry, and they come to his father's house, and, and they say, we're going to kill Gideon because he did this. And his father stood up for him and said, no, no, no. If Baal's real, let him contend for himself. And so they went away. And I think the beautiful thing that shows is the household of Gideon and his household, they served the Lord. They were just kind of scared to do it publicly. Some of you can probably relate to that. I believe God, but I'm really afraid to tell my neighbors about it because of what that might mean. That's how they were, right? But they, they served the Lord. They believed in the Lord. And he just finally said, you know what? My son stood up. I'm going to stand up too. And so Gideon starts to get, get more, uh, a little bit more courage. And he sends out and he builds this army, right? 32,000 people. 
That's still a huge underdog versus the locusts of the Midianites that are coming in to the Jordan Valley, right? And they're just ravishing the, the land. And so the Lord's calling him to bring as a military leader out and go uh, save Israel. And he has this whole, a lot of you have read this story, right? Because it's so awesome because it reminds us of us, right? And, and it's this fleece story. Right? So he's like, all right, God, I, I trust you. Kind of, but I don't know if this is really going to work out. So I tell you what, right? I got this fleece. This is a terrible representation of a wool fleece, but, you know, it, it works. He goes, I got this fleece, and I, 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 overnight I'll put it on the ground outside, and the dew will come, and if you really mean for us to do this, right, only the fleece will be soaked with dew. The, the ground around it will be dry. And so he goes to bed. The Lord actually, the Lord is so merciful to those of us with flaws. When we're trying, he's like, okay, I'll do it. And so he goes to bed, gets up, sure enough, dry ground, but the fleece, he could fill up a whole bowl with water. And so you'd think, okay, that's good, but I don't know if that's really enough, right? And so Gideon uh, said to God, <laughs> anytime you say something to God, this just often doesn't work out great. And he says, especially when you start this way, let not your anger burn against me. Let me just speak just once more. Just one more, right? Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, let there be dew, right? So here's the mercy of God. Instead of saying, Gideon, knock it off, right? He did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only. And on all the ground, there was dew. Amazing, the mercy of God to just he knows Gideon's got faith, but he knows he's got flaws, right? So now, again, the opposite happened. And I don't know why Gideon wanted that, and maybe he was, you know, like we all talk ourselves into things, like maybe that wasn't God. Maybe that was just a weird weather pattern, so now I'll have him do the opposite, right? And, and so he does, so God comes through, so Gideon starts to think, okay, I guess we got to do this. And he's got 32,000 troops, he's facing the locust army of the, uh, of the Midianites, and, and, and the Lord, it's like you can almost see this exchange, right? And the, and the Lord's like, I don't know about this army. And, and, and can't you imagine, this isn't in the Bible, but just can't you imagine Gideon going, you're right, we're too small. What about maybe some of the angel armies that Chris Tomlin talks about all the time? Let's give me some of those, God, right? We could really win for that. And, and, and God's like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's too big. What we've been saying through this whole series, God gets, asks us to do weird things. Like we, he's like, you know what? Why don't you ask the soldiers, whoever is feeling a little bit scared of going into battle, hello, right? Are they human? They can go home. 22,000 go home. 10,000 are now left. So now Gideon's like, you've got to be kidding me. What are we going to do now, this huge army, right? And so then the Lord's like, hmm, still not sure about this army. Still too big. So he has this weird thing sometimes God calls us to do. He says, take them down to get a drink by the brook. I don't really know how 10,000 took a drink. Maybe they did shifts. I don't really know how that worked, right? And he says, and just watch them, right? And, and so he watches them, and he says, and I want you to mark every soldier that, do, that doesn't cup their hands, but they actually get in the brook and lap it like a dog. That's so weird, right? And of course it's weird. So out of 10,000, only 300 do it that way. They're obviously a little bit strange, these guys, right? And so he's, God says, Though, that's your army. The mighty 300, not of Sparta, okay? This is the mighty 300 of Gideon, the dog lappers from the brook, right? The rest go home. And so now Gideon's like, you've got to be kidding me. 
Can't you relate? Times in your life God's calling you to do something, and you're just like, this isn't going to work. Right? This isn't going to work. And the Lord says, am I with you? Or are we depending on you? Because if we're depending on you and your 300 lappers, yeah, not going to work. But am I going before you? Right? Am I in this? Right? So they're ready to go. And they're on the eve of battle, and it says this. I love this. It says, that same night, the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid, and we all know God isn't wondering. He knows. It's Gideon. He's terrified, right? And he says, if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Puri, your servant. And so Gideon of course, takes that. Says, okay, let's do it. I don't know what, right? And so he goes down and there's this, they overhear a conversation where one of the Midianites had a dream and the other one interpreted it to mean that means the Lord is giving us into Gideon's hands and that just confirmed to Gideon, the Lord is with us. And so after hearing the, the, the interpretation of the dream and its interpretation, he, what did he do? Worshipped. He worshipped. See, Gideon, man, he's Eeyore. But man, can he worship? Like, he's like, I see it, God. I believe it. I'm still terrified. I've still got my holes and my flaws, but I'm, I'm going to worship you. And so he, he worships God, and he returned to the camp of Israel, and he said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And the rest of the story, they use some cool things with fire and pots and terrify the whole army and they go running and scatter and God saves Israel through the faith of flawed Gideon. Does that make you feel good? If Gideon can do it, if he can make the, the faith hall of fame, so can I. I think what we learn from this is there is faith from fear. He was flawed, he was afraid, and he was pessimistic and we can relate. We think, I haven't seen God really work in my life lately. Like, I hear all this. Pastor Jamie talks about it. He's reading the Bible. But I haven't seen it in my life. I haven't seen it in my family. I haven't seen it in my marriage. I haven't seen it in my ministry. I, I tried a ministry a few years ago. That didn't work out well. Well, I'm not going to do that again. I got plugged in and connected in a church. I got hurt. I'm not going to do that again. And these, these fears and these, these, these half-empty cup, uh, half cups that we look at things, they stop us from doing what God has called us to do. And we start to second-guess. I'm nobody. Who am I? I don't pray like she does. I don't know the Bible like he does. I can't do it like they do, right? And so then we do exactly what the enemy wants us to do, sit on the sidelines. I remember I've, I've recently kind of told you the story that um, we had gone through a really rough time when I was associate pastor here. Some of you were here for that. Most were not, and you're, you should be glad of that. And it was, it was rough. And, and when um, we were down to 60 or 70 people, and, and um, they decided... <laughs> That, um, that the call of God was on me to become the new uh, lead pastor. And, and so they were going to have that, that vote. And at the same time, um, the people who were angry with our church, they built a website. <laughs> Thank God we didn't have Facebook yet, okay? Uh, there was MySpace, but nobody used that, all right? And, and they built this website, and, and it was just simply you could go there and complain about how terrible our church was. And, and um, so that was a fun place to go and look when you're the pastor of a church. And, and they did a poll, um, uh, they had an election for me on this website. And, and, and you can make comments as well. And I was so stupid. And I went and read them. And boy, I mean, they were actually kind of kind. He's a nice guy. But if, 
he becomes a new pastor, that place is going to fold in six months. Stuff like that. Some I wouldn't repeat here in church, okay? Uh, and, and, and so I wasn't even angry or even sad. It terrified me. Because I said to the Lord, what if they're right? What if they're right? It's true. I don't have the training to do this. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like you're calling me to do this, but what if they're right? I don't know if I should do this. And I was afraid, and it's a flaw, and it's despite presenting yourself as Tigger inside, feeling a lot like Eeyore, right? And just as long as it's never rabbit, okay? You never want to be that. And, and I just was like, so, and, and it was like the Lord just reminded me, have I called you? What about the church that's there? Do they believe? Because it was a unanimous vote in the church, right? It's like, do they believe my call in your life? Are you doing this by yourself? Is this your strength? Or am I going before you and with you? And so I said, let's go. That's going to happen in your life and in your ministry and your marriage and with your, the things that are going on in your home and your family. And it's hard. One of the reasons we did this faith series right after Lamentations is because this last year, it's a good year to lament about, for sure. And we've all done plenty of that. But man, God's still moving. And we can't let this malaise of just, we've, we've just kind of closed ourselves in because we've had to. And we're human. And so little by little, God's calling you out. Get out. Do what I've called you to do. And I know you're afraid. And yes, you're bad at that. And yes, you're weak at that. And yes, but am I going before you? Faith from fear, despite our mess. And, and, and so the, the next guy, again, we won't spend nearly, I told you not to panic, right? We won't spend nearly as much, is not the former President Barack, a different Barack, all right? And he actually came before um, Gideon. And, and Barack was a military leader, and he lived in a time period where there was this king of Canaan. And this king oppressed uh, for 20 years the land of Israel. And, and he had a military leader named Sisera. And Sisera had 900 chariots. So he was powerful and terrifying. And so uh, the, Deborah was the judge, a woman. She was uh, also a prophetess. And she would receive message from God during that time. And the people really trusted her as a leader. And, and so, so Deborah gets a message from the Lord to go to Barak and say, Hey, Barak, the Lord has told you to go, and your army is going to free us from Sisera and the 900 chariots and all of that. And so, Barak, very simple words, but very clear. You can see it on the screen. Chapter 4, verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. If you will not go with me, I will not go. Done. All right? At least, you know, he didn't use a lot of words. He just kind of said, this is how I'm feeling. Flaw. Big time flaw of hesitancy and fear. Right? That, that, that he, because God told through her, but you, God's called to do it. Not you and me. You. And so he says, look, you're the prophetess. <laughs> like, I'm just like a soldier. I, not me, man. I'll do what you tell me to do. But it's like he wanted an intercession between him and God. And we have to understand, we need no intercession between us and God because we have the great intercessor, Jesus Christ. He just didn't believe that he could be called of God and work through faith, right? But he felt like if his binky, his pacifier, Deborah was there, he could do it. And so he says that to her, and this was her answer. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. 
Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And so he, uh, he, the story goes, he would then, because she was there, he had faith. And he took his army out. And they won, right? In fact, they crushed, right, the chariots. And Sisera, this huge, mighty warrior, he's on the run, right? And so, man, Barak had faith. But what, what Deborah said happened, right, is if you know the story, it's awesome, right? He, uh, Sisera runs. He thinks he, this, this woman has a tent, and she's pretending to be, uh, you know, on his side. And he goes in, he lies down. She gives him some milk, and he falls asleep. And she takes a tent peg and drives it through her skull, through his skull, dead. Just what God had promised. Now I'm going to give him into the hands of a woman. So awesome that they made it into a worship uh, uh, song, Deborah's song. Imagine singing that in church. And then they drove the tent peg into his head. Now that'll get you juiced up on a Sunday morning, right? Come on, right? And so they did. They sang because of the glory of God. And so Barack, what do we make of this guy? He's in the Faith Hall of Fame. He did have faith, but he had so many flaws, and his flaw was fear and hesitancy. Faith from that hesitancy. And, and this can happen to us. I see it. It almost happened to me. We, we can, uh, I want you to picture who your um, spiritual kind of, your Christian go-to person is in your life. Maybe the reason you're here right now. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your mom, your dad, both. Maybe it's your husband or wife. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's even your kids, and you're here with them. And I want to ask you, what would you do? This is a tough question. What would you do if those, that person or those people said, we're done? We're not going to church anymore. We're not praying before meals anymore. We're not going to read our Bibles anymore. We're, we're done. What would you do? What would you do? Because some of us are trailing behind another person saying, I can kind of do what God says as long as I'm with them and they're your binky, they're your little pacifier that you need for nap time, right? And yet, and I can even happen with pastors or Christian leaders, like as long as they're going. But here's the question, and praise God, I don't believe this will ever happen. What if I'm like, I'm done? What are you going to do? Right? We're not called to come and cheer others on. God's called your life despite your holes, your giftedness, your personality, your, even your weaknesses. He's called you. He hasn't called you to cheer on your husband or your wife or your pastor or your elders or your small group leader or your parents, right? Like, if, if they were out of the picture, what do you do? And it's a great question for our young people. Like, when, when you're on your own or you're going off to college, are you going to church? Are you going to get involved in a ministry? Are you, because it's your turn now. And God's called your life. He hasn't just said, well, you're in a Christian family. So. But there's that hesitancy. And, and God has called each and every one of us to trust, not in me, not in yourself, in Almighty God. Barack missed that. I can remember when, I told you the story, when I, uh, my now wife Heather, she, she was strong, she became a Christian before me. She's the reason I became, she was used of God to lead me to Christ. So of course in the beginning, like she was kind of like, all right, I'm just sort of here and Heather's there, right? You feel that way sometimes. And, and yet, that's not the call. And I can still remember plain as day. It's actually, it was her parents' house. It's now the house we live in. Backyard, there was a volleyball net up. And I had become a Christian not too long before that. And I was talking to her. We weren't married yet. And I was just uh, saying, you know, I, I really think God has called me to do something big 
and, and, and he said two things. It's going to be big, and it's going to be really, really hard. And I know it's from God because I would never invent something that's really, really hard. I was a college student, right? Come on. I wouldn't do it now either, but certainly not then. And I remember Heather kind of being like, okay, really? All right. You know, because it's easy. You think of the person that just can't, all right, I'm glad you're a Christian now, but easy there, buddy, right? Easy on the big calls from God. And the thing is, God has majorly called her life too, but he called my life. Right? He didn't call me to just say, all right, what do we do now, Heather? Right? What, what do I do now? He's called me to step up and say, I've gifted you to do this for me. And so that's what I want to convey to you. you uh, it's awesome to have each other. We're meant to be together. But you are accountable to God for what God has given you to do, what he's called you to do, and how to do it. And don't let the, I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if I'm good enough. Don't let that stop you because you're not believing in you. You're believing in him. And so the last thing I want to talk about is mess. And so sometimes our flaws, our holes, are because of our mess, our pain, present, past, things we've done, places we've blown it, right? And the beautiful thing, this is the Faith Hall of Fame, you're not going to find a bigger mess than the two other guys that we've seen. The first is Samson. A lot of you have heard of Samson, read Samson, know of Samson. I'm not going to give you a lot of it because it's an amazing story. If you've never read Samson in the book of Judges, go home and do it today when you've got some time. It is the most fabulous and like little short story you'll ever read. It is just full of everything you can imagine, right? And, and yet, in it, you just learn that Samson is a mess, right? And so, basically, this is towards the end of Judges in chapter 16. And, and, and uh, again, the toilet bowl, and now we're really far down. And, and they'd sinned against the Lord, and, and, and now God has put the Philistines over them, another foreign power. And the Philistines are oppressing them, and, and, and so they cry out to God. So, again, God... He's going to deliver a judge. And so he appears actually to, to Samson's parents. He says, you're going to have a, a son. He's going to be the one I use to deliver Israel. And he's going to be a Nazarite, which just means he's set apart for God. And he, and he would do three signs. He wouldn't drink wine, wouldn't cut his hair. God does, tells us to do weird things. So if you thought, you shouldn't have long hair in church. I mean, what was Samson going to do, right? So uh, he disproves that. And, and uh, he, he had long hair, and, and he wasn't to cut it, and he wasn't to eat unclean food. He was set apart for God. And so when you read the story of Samson, he's like, on one hand, there's like two sort of roads. There's the what God does through him and delivers Israel. He's the most strongest man. He would be stronger than most of our Marvel characters, right? He was so strong. And and he destroyed the Philistines. They hated Samson. They couldn't beat Samson. And yet, so you have this awesome save, saving power that God uses Samson. But then over here, you have Samson's life. And it was a mess. Like, he was, like he was everything you could imagine sinful he did. He was going to prostitutes, and he ate whatever he wanted to eat. And he was always angry. And it's just constant, like, mess, mess, mess. But over here, God's using him. And now we're at the bottom of the toilet bowl, Right? And so he gets to the end of his life, this Samson, and finally the Philistines are like, we're going to figure out his, his weakness. And they, and they get a woman, because that was his weakness. A lot of guys, that's the case, named Delilah, not, you know, the DJ, Delilah. You know what I'm talking about. Kids are like, who? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. All right. So Delilah goes in, and she seduces him, and then she tries to get him to tell her what his strength is. And he lies to her three times. Uh, you know, fresh cords, fresh rope, and then uh, gets a little bit closer to the truth. 
which is cutting his hair, right? He says, if you braid my hair. Each time he, she does it, calls the Philistines in, and he goes, ha, 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 right? Like the Incredible Hulk, and just destroys them. So she's like, finally the fourth time, he gets whatever reason. I think personally Samson didn't think it would happen. He, he knew the source of his strength, but he actually thought he was the source of his strength, not God, right? And the hair represented that. And so he tells her the truth. She cuts his hair. They come in. His strength is gone. The spirit has left him, and he's put in chains in the last scene of Samson's life, which is why I think he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. We can ask the Hebrews writer someday. Is that he was there. He's between two pillars. He's in, in, in you know, he's tied up. And on this roof above him is 3,000 Philistines watching the trial of their hated enemy, Samson. Right? And at that last kind of moment of his life, we have a, a uh, prayer sort of of faith. Right? Sort of. Watch. He says, and Samson called to the Lord, and he said, Oh, Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. They had blinded him, by the way. That's where the eyes come in. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And God gave him his strength back and one final victory that God used Samson for and Samson died. That's kind of a good way to go out, right? Prayer of faith, like let me die for this. Now, if he had survived, would I put money on Samson living a changed life? No. I don't know. Maybe he would have. We will never know. But the fact of the matter is, this man, right, who lived such a messy life, probably far more messier than any of us, put his faith in Almighty God. And God used him. And so we can say, well, how does he, why is he in the, the Faith Hall of Fame? All I just want you to see in this is that faith absolutely can and does come from a messy past. Whatever you have done, right, that... that um, that, that there's the sideline, and we talk about this all the time. We just think our sin is, 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 is it's sort of arrogant to think, oh, I have the sin in my life that is too big for God. And we say over and over again, you cannot out-sin the cross of Christ, the shed blood for you. You can't do it. He died for you. You have a mess. It might even be right now. You have the ability to repent. And turn from that sin and say, Lord, save me and use me. And you remember Rahab? He didn't just save, right? He brought her into this family. He'll do the same for you. And even the Christians in the room, like we, we tend to drift from God when we think we're, we're in a mess or we've created a mess. It's like that's the last time, the last place you want to be drifting from God. Weep if you must. Get on your knees if you must. But stand up in the glorious grace of God. Because when you know Christ, that's who you are. A son, a daughter of the king. And so you are meant for something greater than just continuing in the mess. Or saying, well, whatever. But actually do something about it today. And say, I'm done. Faith can come from the mess. It does. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. We all have stories. We dress up good. But every single one of us has a story of where God should have judged us. God should have shunned us. God should have driven us away. But instead he's saved by his grace. Faith from that mess. And so I'll give you about a minute on the fourth guy. Not just because of time, as I said earlier. I don't really know what to say much about this guy. Samson at least is exciting. 
okay? This last one is uh, Jephthah, and uh, he, again, was a military leader, and he, uh, you can find him in Judges 11. And, and the foreign power this time was another termite. They were the Ammonites, okay? And, and they were 18 years oppressing Israel. And uh, Jephthah was actually a... Uh, um, uh, a son of a prostitute had been kicked out of his own house by his own brothers and, and lived with a group that the Bible calls worthless men. Not what you want your kid to grow up, right? Like, join up with the worthless men. And that was him, right? And so God actually calls him to save Israel. Talk about a mess. And so he, he sort of has faith, so we think why he makes the Faith Hall of Fame, right? But he also does this ridiculous, he's known for this ridiculous, stupid vow. He did not need to do this. God didn't call him to do it, but he did. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And so, after that vow, he feels bolstered and he has faith. He crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He had faith. Of course, if you know the story, when he came back from battle, who came out of the house? His only daughter. It's a great Mother's Day story, all right? And his only daughter comes out, and instead of just saying, Lord, if I must pay the price for that stupid vow, I'll do it. I'm not going to kill my daughter. This is what he should have done. We don't really know. Some scholars believe that he just didn't let her get married, but it seems more, even though we don't want, it seems like he did actually sacrifice her. And so that's why I don't know what really to say about him. He had faith, but his mess is huge. And he went on to have even more mess in his life. And so we can ask together someday in heaven, the Hebrews writer, like, could we just skip him? I wouldn't have had to preach on him. But he put him there. And so the best thing to get from all of this for us is despite your flaws, God will work through your faith. In who? God. That's the key. I feel like I've been repeating myself in this series over and over again because I have. Because we need it repeated over and over again. You will do mighty things for God. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care. You will do mighty things for God. They might not be mighty in the world and they might not be recorded for, you know, the cities to read. But they will be mighty to the angels in heaven if you put your faith in him. He's going to ask you to do weird things. Will you do them? When he calls you to step, will you do what he's called you to do? Will you trust him with that broken thing in your life? Will you trust him to get out of the mess? Will you trust him to keep praying for that lost person? Will you trust him when you join up in that ministry? You're not really sure. Like You've failed before. I, I don't see how it's going to work out. He's calling you to do it. Trust him. And, and maybe he's calling you to get out from the shadows of your binky. Do it. Don't let hesitancy. Don't let hesitancy. Don't let fear stop you. Those are just flaws. We all have them. But your trust isn't in your holy flaws. It's in the holy God. So here's what I want to do. Pray for you. And this time as we pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to you where you might be not going where he's called you to go. Would you shut your eyes for me if you can? That means you're not watching somebody. And again, we do this because um, it's between you and the Lord. Between you and the Lord. Father, I, 
First of all, I, I want to pray for, you know, Lord, you know whose heart and mind is in this room, who's never put their faith in Jesus Christ, and you're calling them. They feel it. They feel the weight of their sin, and they feel the desire for your saving grace, but they're not sure what to do. Lord, would you, O Holy Spirit, pour out on that person or persons to even right now just say, Jesus, save me. Oh, would you save, Lord? They can't do it on their own, Lord. They know it. They know it. They know it. They know they can't do it, but they don't. They're stuck in this wanting to try. They would put their trust in you. Father, I pray for our Christians in the room, the brothers and sisters who, Lord, it's been a long year plus, and we've developed different habits, some bad, some good. And it can be scary to, to go out where you've called us to go. But Lord, where are you calling us to go? Reveal to each person, Father. Reveal to each person right now as they pray, as they seek you, what you're calling them to do. And I can almost hear the excuses, the Eeyores, Lord. I can almost hear them. You must get so sick of them, but you're so gracious. Just as you were to Gideon, I can't do that. I, I don't have time for that. I, but, but God, would you strike those down and say, you do, you do. Put your trust in the Lord. What are those things? Give us courage in our flaws, faith in our holes. When we leave here this morning, that we would feel on a mission for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we praise you and we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to stand and, and sing together. Um, a beautiful song about the hope of Christ. Let's stand.